Is it time for Pakistan to return to the motherland? Asks Chetan Bhagat in the recent Times of India article, citing reasons like failing economy, debt, and many other factors. It says it is the most vulnerable situation that Pakistan is, so it should consider reuniting with India. Now, is that possible? Is it feasible? Is it practically executable? Is something that he does not touch upon. So, in this episode, I'm going to extrapolate on this theory <laughs> and wishful thinking, if you will, to see what happens if this at all were to become a reality someday later in life. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Ionisms, a podcast about society, art, entertainment, culture, sports, movies, a little bit of geopolitics. And in today's episode, I am going to talk about the hazards of even thinking about a potential reunification between India and Pakistan. So let me divide this into three parts, right? The time period leading up to the actual reunification, then the reunification phase, and then the post reunification phase. All right. So what are the assessments that India would need to do? What are the things that we need to think about, right? First things that come to my mind is why would India want to inherit all the debt that Pakistan has accumulated over the years, right? Its forex reserves are at an abysmally low position at this point. I think it's below $3 billion. Then it has got external debt. Debt to China. Would China like that? Think about this, right? China would be the first person to uh, object to this reunification, right? Probably forget India and Pakistan, right? China would say, hey, all the investment that I made is going to go down the drain, right? And I, I can't allow that. And so they would be the first party to get impacted even before Pakistan or Pakistanis actually get impacted, is it not? The entire CPEC initiative, the Gwadar port, and all those investments that have been happening over the years, all that <laughs> will simply vanish. And so there would be no agreement reached on how to repay back. In fact, the deadlock will start just there, right? That if Pakistan has inherited that loss, then they should repay that loss. Why should India's reserves be used to repay that loss? So that would be a big question in the taxpayer in India would question why would my earnings go to repay the mistakes of some other region, right? So that's one of the reasons why it is not economically feasible to even think of reunification. These are all facets leading up to it. And just as a layman, right? I do not have any political affiliations or inclusion. I don't even know internal issues that might be there, but just whatever is available online and what you read across uh, easily available information uh, on, on the internet, you have some, you know, point of views that come from experts, people who are informed, right? The scholars, the economists, the financial experts from both sides, not just India's, but not just Pakistanis, even world economics uh, or world economists observe that the basic financial structure on which Pakistan is operating itself is 
absolutely messed up right and so to clear that mess it's a incredibly difficult thing and that's why they're in this vicious cycle you know they have so much of debt that they cannot repay back and then to sustain they take more debt and so they're the logical way out is somewhere i get the sense that the message that they're saying is if you don't keep offering us the money we will implode and if we implode then that ain't good for nobody it's not good for afghanistan not good for russia and clearly it's not good for india it's not good for china with so much of so that that seems to be the message and that's why every time they're nearing uh, a default some kind of imf funds keep coming in sometimes the saudis chip in sometimes somebody chips in will this continue i don't know <laughs> it seems like it's been continuing for so long without any exit route but i do sense that this is not a sustainable model somewhere something is going to snap and and then shit hits the fan right and so one you know once i hear some of these reaction channels and i wonder you know they are always under this perpetual threat that india will attack pakistan like why would you want to uh, take over a loss making asset right it just doesn't make financial sense just for a second if even if the situation was reverse where pakistan was economically stable and was very profitable would it still make sense for india to take over pakistan it wouldn't why because in itself india is 3x or 4x the size of pakistan if not more it has enough resources it is self reliant to a large extent and it has got its own economy up and running so why would you want to expand it doesn't make logical sense right and i do i can safely say that there isn't enough um, even forget political inclination even mass inclination to be expansionist right india in itself is so complex so diverse that people are in, in very happy with the way they are and of course when i say happy does it mean that we are perfect answer is no there, there are lots of areas of improvement there are lot of injustices that that have happened there are problems in many facets of uh, this economy but the flip side is it's a developing economy it's a growing economy we are already at the fifth uh, largest in the world and if we play our cards right chances are in about 10 years we'll probably have a realistic shot at being the third largest economy behind united states and china so within all this madness there is some sense of direction that we are headed in the right trajectory and that would be a fair statement to say i think but inheritance of a loss is the word that was coming to my mind why would you want to inherit a loss making asset right so it just doesn't make sense now that you do uh, even if for example there is some assessment some resetting that happens saying you know we'll offset the loans we'll pay partially pass partially will come from you know pakistan's assets being uh, leveraged to repay off the loan and so on so what was this is all hypothetical right so s- suppose this arrangement were to happen the next immediate problem would be the governance problem how do you govern the people of pakistan like can they become the additional five states as it were so as an expansion to india or would it be that they are left alone just like think of uh, hong kong or taiwan and they i mean taiwan claims to be an independent country on its own but i'm just saying extended administered region like how hong kong is as on as on date 
would you want to run it that way strategically administrative region or would you just have as an integral part of india and then have them as five additional state whatever the number of provinces they have right so <clears throat> my thing is either of these arrangements will have a problem in governance because people of pakistan there will be a certain section of people who would probably appreciate reuniting with india but i'd still imagine the majority will be against the whole idea so what happens when you can't have governance then you risk a civil war or civil unrest now would india want to deal with that and if you open the borders there would be an immediate influx of say 20 30 40 million people would have this cross migration come into the metropolises which seem to be the most obvious and first would be delhi and given the fact how delhi is congested already it's bursting at the seams add another 20 million people coming into delhi for jobs for opportunities the entire ecosystem will collapse right will burst as it were even if it were to spread across delhi and go into say mumbai well mumbai is bursting at the seams you want to go to kolkata or in chennai these are the four big metropolises and then of course the smaller uh, metropolises or mini metropolises i'd like to call them say bangalore hyderabad chandigarh all these areas India is already a very densely populated country. You're talking about 482 people per square kilometer and just add another 20, 30, 40, 50 million people. Then clearly the whole systems, in, including not just the government agencies, the public institutions, the uh, healthcare system, everything would go uh, out of wax, right? And will have these kind of problems. So you, once you kind of reunite or open the borders, then clearly you can't tell people not to travel right then they will travel it's like one region and so how do you manage that go back to that example of of east germany reuniting with west germany what was the initial reaction east germany was economically lesser as compared to west germany and so when the borders opened and that was like not even one third even you know lesser population as compared to india and pakistan isn't it and so even then it was exceedingly difficult for the unified germany to manage this huge influx from east germany and so it took a long time for the things to settle down just multiply that by 10x or 20x it would be that much more complex that much more difficult then the set of laws that India operates on, the constitution, the local laws, the state laws, they are probably very different from how Pakistan operated. And so recalibrating that, making them more aware will in itself cause a lot of unrest. They being less developed, not just economically, but even from a literacy standpoint, it will take an immense amount of state energy people's energy resources to update that can it happen instantly absolutely not can it even happen in the near term unlikely it's a long-term process before people understand the ways how india works one is what you see on youtube and one is when you actually live in that place right <laughs> two different things completely 
And so when you do start living, so somebody who's probably be used to the way, say, Karachi operates or Lahore operates and they suddenly start living in Chennai, for example, then they are immediately struck by the cultural differences. The cuisine differs, the climate differs, the taste and preferences differ. And so the set of people who receive these new, I would call them refugees now, but new entrants, new residents of the area will have a lot of adjustments to do. So all the resources that we have, all the institutions that we have will get impacted. So long and short of it, there's, it is this, that not only will it have governance problems, but leading to this absence of governance might lead to civil unrest. Well, as a this gives the perfect segue into crime and punishment. Because of all the civil unrest and the breaking down of institutions, it will lead to more crime within the country. It will lead to more atrocities and people will get more impacted and hurt and anger will emerge and erupt everywhere. The civil balance or the balance of peace within a particular region will completely implode slash explode where the spike in crime will overwhelm the protection forces, be the police system or the security system and so many other things. This also opens up the doors for cyber attacks and crimes where every region has people who are against stability. They might have vested interests, they might have other agendas, and it kind of opens the door for them to wreak havoc, creating a misunderstanding as it is, as we exist today is so difficult. And at that time, it will just multiply 100 times, creating a misunderstanding and then provoking a fight and which leads to a crime will just go out of the roof. Do we have the wherewithal to manage the spike in crime? Answer is no. There could be open looting, massacres, crimes committed, horrendous crimes committed openly, blatantly in broad daylight because the security forces and the systems, and you can't keep calling the army all the time to, because the last thing you want is the army coming in and restoring peace in the region, right? You don't want that either. So clearly an unworkable idea. And so finally, years of animosity between these two nations, right? It is 75 years. And all this story about we being a unified country for thousands of years, that is not the conscious memory. What people have is the animosity, which is very vivid, alive of the immediate 30 years for sure from 1990s through say 2000s. And then we have read and seen on various media, documentaries, movies, stories that have inherited over the years of the various animosities that have happened over the years. Think of the animosities that existed between the cricket teams between these two countries. So animosity is the word I'm using. It's not that two com talented teams are fighting and competing on the field and forgetting about it. And as much as they'd say that we are friends of the field and all that, people could sense the unease on the field. And I'm talking about the 
teams of the 80s and the 90s and mid 90s admitted that post 2000 the generation that came up is not as aggressive as their predecessors was or as quote unquote uh, nasty like their predecessors were now you see a more of a milder culture and that's probably to do with how cricket has gone through a dip post 2007 8 and 9 after those attacks and it's only now that the cricketing uh, caliber has risen over the last two three years and within that such a short period of time you already spot one or two characters right who are just waiting for the right opportunity to unleash their inner nastiness but by and large the and i'm talking about the pakistan national men's cricket team here by and large they seem to be you know i will fight with you fair and square on the field of the field i kind of respect you as a professional cricketer and all that but within that 10, 11 or 15 member squad there are one or two characters and I don't want to specifically point out or name anyone but one can sense it if you follow cricket closely you will know that hmm, if the situation was slightly different where they were at a higher pedestal than what India is or was then their demeanor would change and that is quite evident by say the ex-PCB chairman Mr. Ramiz Raja whose kind of vocabulary, body language changed when he took the position of the chairmanship of the Pakistan Cricket Board. And you could see a distinct difference between how the gentleman was prior to this appointment and then post it. And now once he is asked to leave, how his vocabulary is post that. And he tries to come across very diplomatic at times, but the inner animosity and the anger is quite evident in his commentary about Indian cricket in, in particular. And as much as you can praise some of the cricketing abilities and all that, but heart of hearts, and one can argue that they're playing to the gallery and all that, but net of the story is there is this animosity. Remember, he's one of the players of the 90s era, which had a very anti-India sentiment. And so I would, <laughs> the years of animosity, not just in sports, but in cricket in movies in whole bunch of other things, cannot be instantly switched off like it's a mental thing and to unwind unlearn from either side uh, would take a very very long time so clearly even then it's a very untenable uh, unexecutable reality right so now we discussed why this thing will not work so what can work can we even hazard that guess so my sense is there are a few ways this quote-unquote arrangement can work and here are some of the thoughts first up these countries should not reunite not now not in the future not ever however they can coexist peacefully just like the european union does in some way so that will require a civil approach to this and how can that happen somewhere the internal political narrative in Pakistan has to change. That itself is a good five to 10 year phase. If you remember how Pakistan as a nation turns religion as a priority in Ziaul Haq's tenure, somewhere that eight or 10 year period redefined the next generation of Pakistan. So if peaceful coexistences, if at all is possible, then they need to usher in uh, maybe a decade 
or eight to ten years of period where they neutralize the animosity within their own civil society so the civil discourse has to be anti has to stop this anti india tirade or narrative quote unquote india hamara dushman hai kind of a india is our enemy kind of a narrative has to get out of their history books if you will then the religious connotations how increasing religious tolerance within and coexistence and modernizing the society so the next bet would be to increase the level of education neutral education objective education not just state favoring you know selective history kind of a thing that's been the problem think of the way 1965 or 1971 or 1999 wars or in conflicts have been defined in the history books right that needs to change the way they address their minorities i.e hindus in their country the outlook towards them has to change and it's clearly not a one-off switch it's a systemic change which if they start even today as on 2023 we probably see the first positive signs by 2033 so that's the first time probably if, if you take a sustained 10-year effort you will see probably the next generation that is 2020 2033 to 2043 that generation probably being less anti india than what it is now and by that time this current crop of hard nosed hardcore anti india people would be perhaps in the last phase of their lives right in some sense or the other so you will have a new generation which will be less uh, anti india and so most of if you see most of it begins at home right so change the governance system change the education system increase literacy get the accountability get the country back on track financially and improve trade india can start with trade exchange and so the prices and inflation is bit under control and more people progress most more they progress they become financially more stable then add education with that and global exposures and making peace mental peace with this fact that india is not there to occupy pakistan or take over pakistan india is there as a peaceful neighbor coexisting peacefully these could be the first few steps in the first 10 years if people have to coexist then somewhere if you see the trajectories on the right track maybe by 2030 or 31 you could soften up the borders clearly lot has to happen prior to that the terrorism has to go away the kashmir issue has to get settled and basically there is no defense conversation right anymore so the nukes and all these kind of conversations have to be done away with in fact it's a wasted thing right for both and that's one area which i would probably think about any country in the world if the whole world it's an extrapolation so if the whole world collectively on one day got rid of all the nuclear arsenal would world not be in a better position right nobody has any nukes and so nobody no one country can boss over the other country saying i have nukes i can nuke you because it will never be that scenario right if one country nukes the other country then there will be three other countries who will counter attack so it's a zero sum game so there's no point in global annihilation right the point is defeated so it's it's a wasted expenditure to invest in nukes i'd rather use it for energy and electricity and anything positive that can happen so somewhere 
these few things will need to intrinsically from a root directory standpoint needs to get reset once that is reset chances are by 2033 and beyond one can soften up the borders free exchange of people who can come in go out trade would have settled and stabilized people would have benefited from india in people of pakistan would have seen the benefits of trading with india and india in itself would have done better on its own and so that could lay the foundation of softer borders and then probably by 2043 and beyond one can say okay it doesn't really matter whether we unite or not because it becomes a very simple just like how the european union is each maintains its own sovereignty and yet there is freedom to trade freedom to interact travel all those things can happen so at the very least it's a 20 to 30 year project even if we start today and if upper limit you just never know so if i were to sum this up for you strictly speaking just at this minute there are just too many things that are against for this idea to even get seeded that's how far we are from this becoming a reality think of this what am i saying that even the idea to get seeded we are at least five seven years away from that so once the idea gets seeded there is a general agreement that let's work towards this direction it's another thing well funnier things have happened stranger things have happened you never know because clearly as regular ordinary citizens we don't know what's happening behind closed doors you know what get we see on media is not what the real deal is right that that i think we all agree so there's a lot more happening with the authorities people know those who are the concerned authorities know much more than what we do so most of the opinions most of the reactions are basis what is generally available in public domain but the real story probably lies beyond the public domain and rightfully so not everything needs to be available for public consumption and so if at all we need we see a stabler region and then we have to also think about the impact of a stable region vis-a-vis china Will they be appreciative of it or not? What role will they play if this region becomes stable? Would they lose the control and so on and so forth? And so there are multiple players, multiple moving parts. But strictly speaking, is this if you don't do this, if you don't travel on this path, the way it is going right now is I, I think it has a finite time frame for Pakistan. And one can counter argue that, well, they have gone to the IMF since 1952 or whatever, 22 times or 25 times, whatever the number is. And what stops it from going 50 times? Uh, and somewhere I, I don't see that happening because the people are that much more aware. There's growing awareness of what's happening in and around, not just their immediate neighborhood, but globally. And so the people of Pakistan will probably wake up one day and ask the tough questions that what the hell is going on? When will this stop and what are you going to do about it? So that seems to be the way forward in my view. However, till that happens, life continues as is. We as a country need to grow much better, much bigger, be much more stronger, get our house in order. You know, as much as 
the good stuff that is happening in India, there are areas of improvement that we need to focus on. And there isn't time for us to even think about Pakistan or anybody else for that matter. The need of the hour is to raise the standard of living for every Indian across the length and breadth of the country, improve education, improve infrastructure. Those to me are the most crucial facets and factors for India to become the number three economy in the next 10 years. And not just it's just not a number thing, right? The whole country has to do better than where we are today. So on that note, I keep my fingers crossed. Well, that's all the time I had for this episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I had enjoyed sharing it with you. You know, these are very difficult conversations, very tricky conversations. So I hope you understand that none of this is scripted, right? This is all spontaneous. So bear with some of the background noise or anything else that might have distracted your listening experience. But I'd love to hear some of your thoughts. And I know people from all over the world are listening to this. Even people from Pakistan are listening to Ionism. So thank you for taking the time to join in. And you, I hope if any people from Pakistan listen to this, this is a very neutral, objective, non-rhetorical, non-jingoistic podcast. And the episode in particular is aimed to see what can, what is the current situation and what can be done about it in a very theoretical standpoint. So there is no personal agenda and anything or underlying deeper, darker truth to this is as simple as it gets of a very complex issue. So would love to hear some of your thoughts and views and comments and suggestions. Do leave some message below. You know where to reach me on my social media handles. Till we meet the next time. Stay well, stay safe, keep listening to Ionisms. This is your host, Ion. Peace out.